You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Okay, folks, he tells me the topic is gospel relationships, right? Yep. And you've been studying something about that? Yeah. You have? Okay, well, since I don't know what you studied, tell me. Take a couple minutes. Uh, so you've been, I don't know how this works, you know, except that apparently you do some, some kind of study through the weeks prior to this on gospel relationships. Do you have anything at the top of your mind about um, either what you think about this topic or what you picked up in the study you've done? It's okay to look at your notes if you have any. I think the thing that hit me the most was... Excuse me a minute. There's no clock I can see. That's true, so... That's a risky thing. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> Nobody has their phone except for like, like Heather does. So Heather's a timekeeper. She will tell you, what time is it now? 934. 934? 34. 34. All right. So... Okay. 10.30. Very good. Or when we run out of donuts, whichever comes first. Uh, somebody was speaking. Um, humility. Being what it's truly like to be humble and serving others to glorify God and not serving others to make ourselves look good or try to get in favor of others. Wow, that's good stuff. And that was in the study. Yep. Humility as it relates to actually serving rather than disturbing yourself or your own image or your own whatever pleasure. Good stuff. Anybody else? Gospel relationships. I just remember how like, messed up I felt when I was reading it. I'm like, man, I am messed up. <laughs> 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 reading it and then realizing that, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's good. I mean, you know, <laughs> Is it? <laughs> it isn't pleasant, but <laughs> it means that something's moving, something's happening. Right. <laughs> it should be, you know, we don't want our study of Scripture and, and the Christian life to be always depressing <laughs> and intimidating, but it should kind of poke us and, and uh, move us, you know. Anybody else? What did you get? Trying to piggyback off that, if I were just to sum it down for me, it was, it's the most difficult, essential thing in my life. Relationship? Yeah, godly relationship. The most difficult, essential thing. That's quite a statement. And the combination, the two words. Yeah. It may be that it's the most difficult because it's the most essential. Yeah. Because it's the most fundamental, basic part. So, whenever we pay attention to it, our whole life, every area of our life gets poked eventually. Yeah, good stuff. Anybody else? What'd you get? You know, it's been a while since I worked through it, um, but I remember one of the things that stuck out to me from this study was a quote from Aristotle that's in there about the different kinds of relationships. Mm -hmm. um, three different kinds of relationships. One was uh, pleasure-based or 
or something like that. And then there was very utilitarian. Um, so you have a utilitarian relationship with your plumber. Comes over and gives you what you need. A pleasure base, something you might have with your wife or a spouse. And then the last one, the other one was uh, like godly relationships. So that was the way he kind of organized. It was, it's always been interesting to me and I've been able to, it's kind of helped me to see what categories of relational. Yeah, it's filled or empty, so on and so forth. And it's good to think about those kind of distinctions because, I mean, technically, I have a relationship with the orbit of the Earth right now, you know, but it's not quite the same as my relationship with my wife or with with you guys or with God. My pituitary gland presumably has a relationship with my pancreas. <laughs> I hope, or I'm going to die soon, you know. Things go on, you know, all kinds of relationships. Anybody else? One more before I start off ranting. <laughs> I find in my own experience that, uh, you know, in 70 years you can learn a heck of a lot of stuff and forget a heck of a lot of stuff. I find it's very valuable to review. have a few things that are of extreme importance to me, and I've one way or another I save them so that I can review them now and then. And I have one note on my computer because I got Microsoft Office stuff. It took me a year or two to figure out how to make it work the way I want. <laughs> but I use it. And I look at it almost every day because I've got some lessons in there. You know, a special, special place where I store lessons. And maybe one thing gets added every two months. But this kind of review, just thinking back, you know, what we did right now was... Uh, we enhance the value of the study we've done in the past by reviewing it and pressing it in, bringing it more into focus again. I wanted to talk about, uh, for a minute about those two words, gospel and relationships. That's my coffee, so if, and it's not my coffee, so if you see me drinking out of it, holler at me. <laughs> gospel and relationships. We talked about relationships a little bit. I have rela we have relationships with a million things, probably literally, you know, all of us. But this implies and probably requires that we talk about relationships with persons. Interpersonal relationships are the key thing of life. Because God is a person and we are persons. And also, there are all these people around us. And truth be told, it's the people around us that bring us the greatest joy and the greatest sorrow. They bring us the most stress, and they bring us the most comfort. And so people are a big deal. And so relationships, I'm just going to narrow it down. I'm going to forget about the pituitary pancreas relationship this morning. But talk some about interpersonal relationships. And then the word gospel. What does that mean to you? Give me some input on this. And I'm going to tell you how I, uh, I summarize it down, you know. But gospel, what does gospel have to do with relationships? I used to teach college at McCook, and uh, every semester near the end, I would say, why do I teach the way I do? Why do I ask you guys so many questions and make you talk? And some smart aleck would always say, so we do all the work. <laughs> well, I'm not going to argue with that, you know. It works. But then somebody else would say the right answer, which is, because you make us get involved. We have to think about it. 
That's what I want. What does it mean to you? Gospel. And you know what? A funny thing is when somebody else gives an answer, you're reacting to their answer. And so you're thinking more than if I was just talking. So let's hear a little bit. What does gospel mean to you? I would say one piece of it in relation to this topic is it's the good news that I'm not in the, I'm not in the center of everything, you know? <laughs> that it's not all about me. What a relief. <laughs> yeah. Good news that I am not the center. We naturally think we are. Especially, you know, deal with a two-year-old for a while or a three-year-old. That's how we come up. But good news, I'm not the center, but that doesn't mean it's out of control. That means there's hope. What else? What does the gospel mean to you? Well, I don't know anybody. Well, I know a few names here, but not too many. Um, you use the word, the phrase, good news, which is what we always equate in our minds with gospel, good news, which is, which is what the historical uh, equation is. I assume in this context, we're talking about the good news of Christ, that there's a connection somehow between Christ, the good news of Christ, and interpersonal relationships in our lives. And you've studied that, you know, and you've thought about it. I just want to point out a few things that have come to my mind as I think about it, and, and out of my experience and my, my lists of things that are important to me. The key, I think, the key right here is right here on the front page. Um, what Jesus said. And he said it, apparently, a number of times in different situations, talking about what are the two most important things. And to the religious context that he was working in and the religious leaders around him, and in his religion, his church that he was involved in, they had some ideas about this. What are the most important things? And so they would, one way they would push on him to see if he was a reliable teacher was to ask him what do you think are the most important things that they always thought in terms of laws they they always were thinking back to Moses and the laws given at Sinai and and during that time books full of them and long lists of laws so they always thought in terms they were always studying these laws they were always trying to figure out just exactly how to keep these laws and so they were always questioning each other about that. So they would press him if they wanted to, somebody wanted to check on him. What do you think are the two most important laws? What are the two greatest commandments? So um, I'm going to read it to you. It's here on the front. We've all heard it. <clears throat> Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, which is a pretty funny line itself, <laughs> all he did was ask them a question they couldn't answer. I mean, they could answer it, but if they answered it, they would have to contradict something that they just said. You know, so he got them in a bind, and that shut them up. So, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. These were, they were not really political parties. They kind of were. 
they were religious parties, but it overlapped politics a lot. So they're kind of opponents. So this group gets shut up for a minute. So this group comes up and says, hey, we got one. One of them, an expert in the law, which meant their religious law. Tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, go to church on Sunday, say nice things about Joe, and now that's two, we're already over the limit. What did he say? I mean, they had, they tell me, I've never counted them, I hear this number all the time, 613 specific rules they had to keep. They had to do with how far you could walk on Sunday and whether you could carry your shoes or wear them. You know, all kinds of things. Washing before meals, washing before worship. Oh, just on and on. So it would be helpful to pin it down. <laughs> What's the most important? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That, uh, as with many short portions of scripture, that can turn your life upside down if you really soak it in and really absorb it. Jesus is not saying anything new. He's quoting the Old Testament here. Both of these commandments are quotations from Moses in particular, which is where they went for all their laws. So he's going to the source. He understands it. He quotes it off the top of his head. And it's, uh, I mean, apparently it wasn't something they talked about all the time or they wouldn't have thought it was a good question to ask him because <laughs> even this, you know, six-year-old kid could answer it. And so, but they did talk about it. It's part of their literature. It's part of their history. They knew when he gave this answer that, well, he is in touch with our tradition. He understands our religion. He is at the core of it. This is like the mystical, spiritual core of it. So if, if some teacher really believes this, there's something good about them. They got something good going on, you know. So um, Jesus says this. Now to me, this is really cool. Because it puts interpersonal relationships right at the top of the list. It puts them in two categories. Divine human and human human. But human human personal relationships are still way above anything else that goes on in our lives. I mean, my relationship with my car may be a big thing to me emotionally <laughs> in good ways and bad but it's not nearly as significant for my personal well-being my psychic well-being so Jesus hits the two greatest things that are available to humans relationship with God and relationship with other humans and he says everything else hangs on these Paul says a little later you do these, you, you're covering everything. Jesus says, you do these, you've got everything covered. The 611 others, if these were two of them, I don't know. The 611 others are actually going to get taken care of if you take care of these. 
So if some uh, rabbi comes along and he's emphasizing number, number 511 and number 314, Jesus will say, well, let's get back to numbers 1 and 2. If we will take, pay attention to these and take care of these, they will take care of other things. I have two sons and two daughters-in-law who are in nursing. And, and their uh, Mark, a lot of you know Mark, is a nurse practitioner who does, you know, he diagnoses people and he prescribes for people and they call him Dr. Mark, which he's not, but that's how they think of him. But they'll come and they'll say, you know, I still got that problem that I had six months ago when I came to see you. And they'll say, well, are you doing this and this that I said to do? No. <laughs> well, then how do you expect me to help you? Jesus is telling us there's a couple of basic things we can take care of. If we say, well, that's nice, Jesus. You're a nice guy and all. You know, I have a lot of respect for you. I believe in you even. But I don't, I don't really think I can focus on that like you do. Then we come back to him six months later and we say, you know, it's not going too well. And he says, well, are you doing what I asked you? Well, yeah, but you know, I said, I don't really think those are the most important things. So, okay, well, then you're not listening to me. It's not going to go well between us if you don't listen to me. So this relationship thing, it's a big deal. I asked you what you thought of the word gospel. Um, I was talking to somebody recently who said, you know, I'm just not sure what this gospel thing is. I'm not sure if I'm preaching it or not. I thought, wow, that's kind of scary. How do you know if you're preaching it? There's an awful lot of stuff in the Bible. Have you ever weighed one of these? If you dropped it on your foot, you could break it. There's an awful lot of stuff. How do we know? And, and uh, I have, for my thinking, I have simplified it a lot, but I've done it on the basis of what Jesus said and what the Gospel writers said. Jesus went around preaching the good news of... Do you know the next two lines? I mean, next two words? Jesus went around preaching the good news of the kingdom. Now, it does say at the end, uh, I better not say that because I'm not sure I'm quoting it right. <laughs> it does talk now and then about good news of forgiveness, okay? But through the, the four Gospels, it talks about the good news that God is present building his kingdom here and now. That God is near. So this person that said that to me the other day, I said, and you'll have to decide whether I'm right or not, I said the good news is that God is near and God cares. Now how that shows up is, of course, the life of Christ, the cross, the resurrection, the presence of the Spirit, all of those things that we know about. But the core good news, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. I don't, sometimes I don't think he should be. I think he should leave. I think he should walk out of my life and slam the door. And some other people too. But he doesn't. The Lord is near. So Paul says at one point, let your patience be apparent to everybody the Lord is near. And he puts them together like that. To me, that's these two great commandments. The Lord is near. Let your patience be apparent to everyone. Because 
whether you're a parent or not, there are times when it's hard to be patient. <laughs> Let your patience be apparent, your forbearance, I think King James says, to all. Why? How? The Lord is near. Gospel relationships. God is here, therefore we are enabled to have what is not usually achievable in the world. Healthy, beneficial, loving, interpersonal relationships. Even with the plumber, even with the doctor, you know, even with our spouses. So I don't know if, uh, if all this is going to pull together as one theme, but it, it does to me. The one theme is God is here in love. That's the gospel. Therefore, relationships can get better. I don't know what you think a perfect relationship is. And therefore, I don't know how to define whether we've achieved it or not. But if we listen to God who is close, who is loving our neighbors through us, is loving our neighbors whether we do or not, then relationships get better. <laughs> they get better. Let's see here. I want to I want to just read some scriptures because these are things that have been important to me, and that's kind of the, Joe implied that that's what he wants. You know, me just not study the your material, but but bring what what matters to me in this matter in this area. So here are some key scriptures on the inside. The first one on the front, I think, is crucial because it tells me that when God is dealing with humans or God is thinking about humans. God is interested in interaction. God is interested in relationship. God is interested in friendship. God is interested in working together with us. God has projects he would like us to be involved with. He wants us to, be, to enjoy doing that. But here's a few more. Uh, this is one of my key verses. Galatians 5, 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, excuse me, and self-control. We have little groups. Would you group yourselves together right where you are as the little groups? Look at that list. There's nine of them. They're, they're translated differently in different translations of the Bible, but there's nine items on that list. I don't know if Paul meant the fruit is love and all these others are subset of that. I, I don't know. You know, he just wrote it down as a list. I would like you to talk to each other for a minute about which ones of those have to do with interpersonal relationships and which ones can, be, can, sh can show in your life even if there are no other persons involved. You understand the distinction? Which ones depend on relationship or show up in relationship? Talk to each other for a minute. Then I'll ask you to tell me. Well, what are you coming up with? Are there any of those that uh, that can be can sh can show in your life, even if you're not in in relationship with other people at the moment? 
All of them are easier if there's nobody else around. <laughs> but I didn't hear what you said. Go ahead. Yeah, that's what I think. If there's nobody else around, they're all easier. Okay. <laughs> that's true. We sitting there, I can be kind and gentle and peaceful. Very loving person. Yeah. There's people around there. Yeah, and then the, it's easy to have the feeling, you guys ruined it. I am a good person, but you're messing me up. <laughs> Very good. What else? Well, we kind of talked that in order to have all of those characteristics, you really need to first have a relationship with Holy Spirit and God, then you can do that with yourself and uh, practice yeah. it with others. So we saw it as a progression that we felt like relationship was we didn't, we didn't know any of those were possible without relationship first with God. And then it's something that, like you said, transforms yourself to be able to go out to others. Yeah. And that's very clear, I think, very clearly what Paul is thinking here. Fruit implies. It's coming from something else, somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So the fruit is, because of the relationship with God, other things start to show up. And a lot of them have to do with relationships with other people. Yeah, I think that's good. What else? What do you find? What, are there any of these that, that can be there, even if you don't see anybody else for a year, you know? What's that? Self-control. Self-control. Yeah. Now, it really comes in handy when there's other people around. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier when there's nobody else around. But it's easier when... It, well, sometimes it's not. You know what they say, what you are when you're alone yes. and nobody knows is what you really are. So the self-control, that can be a pretty important one in terms of not at always being in relationship. Yeah. What else? Joy? Is that what you said that? Yeah. Yeah, how about that? Joy. I read a line the other day about uh, Mother Teresa. Bishop Tutu from South Africa had spent some time with her. He was, he was almost overwhelmed with the fact that she could be holding a dying baby in her arms and still have joy herself and be bringing joy to other people and loving the baby in a totally, you know, well, I don't know what word to use for that situation. Just that, those kind of situations. And yet joy be there, not dependent on the other people. Yeah, it's a good one. Joy, self-control. Others? Now joy is nice. I mean, other people are going to appreciate it if you have joy when you're around them, unless, of course, they're really in a world of hurt. <laughs> they don't want you to be singing and clapping. But Okay, somebody else. Give me one. Well, we get the idea here. The fruit of the Spirit does, in fact, need to show up mostly in our inner relationships with other people, including God. You know, it's nice to have all these things toward God, too. Next one. Did you know that verse is in the Bible? Submit to one another. 
out of reverence for Christ. It's there. It's in 1 Peter. This is right before, or, and maybe it's actually the same. He's talk, talking about marriage relationships here. And he says, submit to one another. Talk to me for a minute about what that word submit means. Especially if everybody has to do it. Everybody has to submit to one another. What does it mean? Nobody ever does anything. <laughs> I, I'm supposed to do what Heather says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should have put your names in there, really. It would have helped. <laughs> it means that other people are very significant factors in your life. What they think, what they feel, what they're going through. My wife may be going through something that I think she shouldn't have to be going through. But I got to be there. Same thing happens the other way around, of course, but I'd rather not talk about that. Submit to one another means the other person's existence becomes a weighty factor in your life. Just the fact that they are there, that they are a person, all of a sudden that has weight in your life. That alters how you make choices, how you see things. And it doesn't alter them because you're trying to stay out of trouble. It alters them because you care. You care. You surrender your preferences fairly often on behalf of that other person. Submit to one another. This goes in the church too, you know. This goes at work. <laughs> this goes at school. This goes lots of places. This goes with kids. Submit to one another. Now, you know, we all have authority. We all have responsibilities. We all have awarenesses where we have to go ahead and say, but this is what I see. Uh, we have to take this seriously. We, we need to bring those things up. But submit means I am very carefully aware of what this other person needs, what they want, why they want it, if I can figure that out. But I don't have to figure that out. Submit means they become a major factor in my affections and in my decisions. And I think that's a gospel relationship. You know that's what the Lord Jesus is doing right now. He's putting up with us. We're doing a good thing here, but we're not doing as well as he would like. I mean, he's, he's, all, you know, he's smart. He knows how we could be doing better. He knows how he could use us more in this world. And he's pushing us that way, but he's not yelling at us. He's not hitting us. He's not refusing to be present. He's submitting himself to our situation. Another one. You know this one. It gets read at all the weddings or put on the invitations. A good reason for it. If I do not have love, I am nothing. That's the Apostle Paul, the great theologian of the New Testament. If I do not have love, I am nothing. Then look, look at this list. I'm going to read the list. I'm going to ask you. Mention one to me that really stands out to you, okay? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. 
an incredible list. That enough, you know, if they took away the rest of the Bible and gave us just that, and said and added one line, God is love, would change world life, the world history. Uh, I asked if I, I asked if you would mention one to me that stands out to you from that list. Not self-seeking. Oh my goodness. But I don't like chocolate on my lemon pie. Gee, you're breaking my heart. You know? <laughs> Come on, people. But it can go at much more serious levels than that. Very good, yeah. Give me another one. Keeps no record of wrongs. Keeps? That's hard. And if somebody else is keeping a record of my wrongs and they bring it up every now and then, then it's easy for me to keep a record of how often they bring it up. And you get a vicious circle. Who's going to stop the circle? Give me another one. Always perseveres. Perseveres. Keep going. Were you going to say something else? No. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Just take the next step, okay? Take the next two steps always perseveres. That's what wins us. That's why the Lord has got us here. Because He perseveres. Even though we were idiots. And still are sometimes. He perseveres. Because He knows what He's going to get. It's going to be awesome. He's delighted. So it, it's worthwhile for us to do the same. One more. Always trust. Always trust. You got any comments on that? <laughs> It's a hard thing, yeah. And it's interesting here at Paul, who was a very logical thinker, you know, he's a very hard thinker. He connects trust and love. Really? I might connect trust and reason, or trust and authority or something, but he connects it with love. Whew! It's a choice to trust. I'm sorry? It's a choice to trust. I'm sorry. It's a choice to trust. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I, uh, I'm not old. That's not the problem. <laughs> My wife always tells people he was a real mail carrier for 10 years and he drove with the windows open and the music loud. And there's something to that. But <clears throat> yeah. This is heavy stuff. Seriously. You know, this is deeper than Aristotle or Plato. I love to teach those guys. I taught philosophy at college. I love to teach all those philosophers, but this is deeper. The, the scriptures are more potent because they are more penetrating. They go deeper. They're always down at the foundations. Uh, here's one of my favorite scriptures. Almost always when I'm invited to preach at a church that I don't, I'm not usually at, I use this text. The end of all things is near. A lot of people feel that way because the inauguration happened yesterday. A lot of people would have felt that way if the other person had been inaugurated yesterday. But Peter wrote this 2,000 years ago. And I don't know exactly what he was thinking. But, in, but people were suffering and dying in the community that he was writing to. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I just love that 
This is Peter the Apostle. And he has to put in, writing to experienced Christians who are undergoing persecution, who are tough and loving already. He has to say, without grumbling. <laughs> what? <laughs> without, you know, y'all be nice to each other and don't bellyache about it. Just be nice to each other, okay? Relationships. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Okay, list at the top of the next page, for example. These are two lists I came up with over the years. The top one, when I was teaching college, and, uh, and watching, you know, you, in McCook College, uh, some of them teach with the do classroom doors open, and I could hear them. <laughs> and I could hear how they talk to their students. And some of them I thought, you know, it's no wonder nobody takes their classes. It's not that the subject matter is bad. It's the teacher doesn't like them. Or the teacher doesn't like the subject matter. And so I, I, I thought, you know, over two or three years, thinking, what can I focus on to make sure I'm behaving appropriately in the classroom with students? And those are the three that I came up with. I need to respect, you need to respect your, any guesses? Self. Yourself. And you know, you've sat in classrooms probably where the teacher did not respect themselves. And that's hard. That's hard for the teacher, but that's hard for the students. Your material or message could be, I suppose, but as a teacher of philosophy and ethics and religion, I put material. Respect my material. I did respect my material. I still do. And that comes across. People can tell. Well, Mr. Harvey, this is really dumb stuff, but you like it, and that's kind of impressive. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> and so they would listen. And respect your students. Now this, I know, this doesn't apply exactly directly to people who are not teaching. But after we fill out all six of them, I'm going to ask, this ask you to answer this question. How does, how does this apply in your life? How do these principles, these six principles? So there's three, which I found very helpful in the classroom. I would think about them when I was out driving on my mail route. I got class tonight, you know. Respect yourself. Respect your material. Respect your students. And all three of those come from a gospel foundation. I can respect myself because God loves me. God, Christ died for me. He gives me all kinds of instruction. He's willing to invest in me. I can respect myself. I can respect my students because they're God's creation. They're just as valuable as I by any standard. I would always say the first day of class, I appreciate if you have intelligence, and I appreciate very much if you work hard in this class, but don't think you're going to make a friend out of me just by being smart. Because one of my best friends in the world is a 30-year-old woman who's got the IQ of about 18 or 19. Some of you met Chelsea, you know? Connie's daughter. Chelsea and I connect. <laughs> we can communicate, and she just does it with her eyes, you know, or or funny sounds she makes, but so it's not a matter of intelligence. 
It's a matter of these are people that God has made. They are worthy of our love and our attention, whoever they are. And that sure improves relationships. So, respect yourself, respect your material, respect your students. Three necessities, and this came up more when I was preaching. And while during that time while I was teaching, I was preaching off and on, you know. And, uh, and I've listened to a lot of preachers in my life. I grew up in church, and my daddy was a preacher, my granddad was a preacher. And I thought, you know, if anybody's going to stand in a pulpit and take up my time, they're also taking up a lot of other people's time. That means if I'm standing in front, I mean, look here, I'm getting an hour today. And there's two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. Twelve hours of human life. What am I going to do with it? How am I going to make sure that I was honorable and responsible with that? And so that's, here's what I came up with this. Of course, those other three apply too. This, this, uh, I, there are other forms of this. I discovered yesterday, Googling. <laughs> What's that one? The one that's heard most often. They, they say it at Rotary or something. And it goes way back. I, I, I don't think I was consciously thinking of that. I was just thinking of what needs to happen in the sanctuary on Sunday. And these are the words that came up. The talking you do needs to be true. Duh. But there are preachers out there who are not speaking truth. Which is, which is worse than inappropriate. It needs to be necessary. Why does it need to be necessary? Well, if nothing else, for the time thing. You're taking people's time. You're inconveniencing them on Sunday morning. And... You know, a lot of other things, but people are dying and they want some good input. You know, on Sunday morning, I stand before the congregation, there are people who are literally dying out there that they know they've only got so much time left. And yet they're putting some of it in sitting down in church. So if I'm going to talk, it needs to be something that's necessary to human life. And three, it needs to be hearable. Um, my dad was a preacher and people loved him and he, and he had a good spirit and, and, uh, and kind of made people feel good but one of my friends told me once said, you know I just love your dad and I will go hear him preach wherever he preaches but half the time I don't understand him <laughs> he says yeah you know I got that problem too and I kind of did because I lived with him you know but People, if, if, you know, if we're going to talk, let's make it so they can hear. <clears throat> now here's a funny list. Six items. Respect yourself, respect your material, respect your students. What you see, say should be true, it should be necessary, and it should be hearable. Now, I don't mean by the necessary to eliminate jokes or just chit-chat, you know, or just being together. Uh, not that, but but still, that scripture in Peter that I read, the very next verse says, if you're going to speak, speak as if it were the words of God, which is a very weighty thing. Now I'm going to ask one more time that we talk to each other for a minute. And I don't know if this question is something we can talk about together or not, but this is the question. Those six things, suppose you're neither a, a preacher 
nor a teacher, how would those apply in terms of improving relationships? Is there any, any meat there for improving relationships if you're not a preacher or a teacher? Take a minute and talk that over. <laughs> Okay, folks, enlighten me. I've never had the privilege of asking that particular question to a group of people before. <laughs> and I would like to know if you have any responses. Those six things, do they apply to life if you're not in a, a formal teaching setting or a preaching setting? Give me some examples or some feedback. Start with the, like, the respect yourself. That's kind of a given. Everybody that needs to do that. Um, as far as respecting the material, uh, you know, even like like the porn brick, when you're going through that, um, or in a staff meeting, or you know, stuff that's that's given to you of important, you know, we need to respect that. And, and, yeah. Uh, or if we have to present something, or whatever. Um, as far as your students. Uh, we're always teaching. Our life is a message to all of those around us. Um, so I think just respecting everybody around us in general, you know. Yeah. For that. And then, yeah, truth necessary and pure bullets. Yeah, you can apply that to any conversation. <laughs> yeah. And if we start to look at life like, like, uh, the people are worthy of respect and whatever material we're dealing with, even if it's how to file something or how to fix a wheel or something, it's worthy of respect. It's part of our lives, part of people's lives, it's part of God's creation. It's worthy of respect. We're doing it. We're investing life time in it. Yeah. It's Thanks. also important to somebody. And it's important it to somebody. It's important to us. But, right. You know, it's important to somebody. Yeah. Yeah, good. The aspect of necessary really jumped out to me. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think it could be easy for us to think we have something to say and overspeak or push our agenda on people or complicate things that aren't necessary. They're good things. Good things might even be knowledgeable things and wise things, but not necessary. And I, I think that, that with the fullest right answer, that hearable, easy to understand, I think in my life, I can overtalk things. And so then it makes it very, it's not easy to understand because it's, it's not simple. There's no mm -hmm. takeaway value. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that implies, you can, they can get it. It also implies that it's relevant somehow, yeah. Anybody else? How does this apply to life outside of the classroom or the pulpit? Which is where life really is, by the way, outside of the classroom and the pulpit. <laughs> <laughs> Because I feel like it's condescending. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's easy to get into. And that voice can really, really make moments, relationships. Mm -hmm. People notice it if you deliberately don't do that, you know? I mean, if you deliberately connect at a level as equals, boy, people appreciate that. People are affirmed just by being seen. And I did used to say that to every philosophy class. In a sense, people don't exist until somebody listens to them. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, God, and, and all, those are all gospel values. Love, respect, valuing God's creation. Okay, got two more scriptures to read. The bottom of the, in, the inside there on the right. I'm going to read that later. On the back. <laughs> this is not a scripture, but it's by a guy who soaked himself in the word. of. He rode all over England on horseback. And uh, they, he wasn't galloping. The horse was walking. And he was reading his Bible. He could read it in Greek. Especially in Greek, the New Testament. This is in the 1700s. He preached an average of like two and a half times a day for 50 years. Incredible. And because he cared, I mean, he, he really fulfilled those six things. But preaching about the Lord's Prayer, he said this. And remember, prayer is a, a key part of our most important relationship. So it's a relationship thing. And this principle then, if it applies to relationship with God, applies at least in general to relationship with other people. Hypocrisy or insincerity is the first thing we are to guard against in prayer. And uh, along the line, what's your name? Mike. Mike, what Mike was just saying. Just because we're talking to God doesn't mean we're being honest. <laughs> or doesn't mean we're being open. Well, we can be talking just to kind of try to keep him away. Or to check things off our list, you know. So, and we can even get to talking down to God. <laughs> Stupid as that sounds. <laughs> like we're explaining to God how it really is, you know. But, so, so we kind of got, this is a project. Hypocrisy or insincerity is the first thing we are to guard against in prayer. Beware not to speak what you do not mean. That's hard. Sometimes I wake up at night. My back hurts or something. And so I start to pray. And it's easy just to start to BS God, which is really not bright. You know, at best, it's a waste of time. And at worst, it's insulting and damaging the relationship. So then I have to say, no, wait, wait, you know what I really think? And then rephrase it. Beware not to speak what you do not mean. Prayer is the lifting up of the heart to God. Whenever, therefore, you attempt to pray, see that it be your one design to commune with God. To lift up your heart to Him, to pour out your soul before Him. And that's a biblical phrasing. Pour out your soul. It's beautiful. I, I, I don't know why, it just resonates with me, that dump. <laughs> you know, it's like it's all there on the table. There it is. <clears throat> Hypocrisy or insincerity is the first thing we are to guard against in prayer because prayer is the essential communication in our most basic relationship. Therefore, we need to learn, and this takes a little practice and training and making stupid mistakes, but we need to learn integrity, sincerity in our communications with each other. 
so we're not condescending, or so we're not just running our mouths, or so we're not avoiding interaction at all, all those things. Then Now we'll go to the bottom of the inside, kind of the wrap-up exhortation. Would you read this aloud with me? It's Paul writing to Timothy. Uh, and we'll, we're going to read this twice and then I'll stop. Maybe. <laughs> you know, when a preacher says, and finally, that means it's less than a week left before this is over. <coughs> read aloud with me, would you? Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. One more time. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Extraordinary promises in that little exhortation. Keep at it because you will grow. One of my favorite lines is, I don't know where I found it, I will do today what others will not so that I can do tomorrow what others cannot. So I may not be an expert yet, but I'm going to work on this relationship thing. It's a project. But it's really nice when you can look back and say, I'm getting better, you know? And other people are glad too. Father, we thank you that you are present. You are near. You are always near. Um, often ignored. Pray that we will not be among those who ignore you. But that we will learn how to live this life in relation, active relationship and healthy relationship with you and increasingly so with people around us. And we know that's not always up to us. But help us, Lord, to be carrying our end of the stick and learning from you. We thank you that you are so gracious and patient in pursuing relationship with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. audio message from the well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.